Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to another episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. I am your host, Terry, and today we're going to talk about online store design 101 with Tristan King at Shopify Ninjas. And Tristan is listed on the Shopify Experts panel, and he's helped customize dozens of e-commerce stores on the Shopify platform. So we're going to talk about some of the design tips that he has for anyone just starting out. And as we approach episode 20, I just want to say a big thanks to everyone. We had our biggest month of downloads in October, over 3,400. And so I remember the first month when I started, we only had 300 in May, and I actually didn't expect the show to grow this fast. So it's really the feedback I got on iTunes, Twitter, Facebook, email that really drives me to put out episodes every week so big thanks and another thing i also have a free ebook in the works uh, called 10 stores 10 lessons that will be out later this month and i've compacted the 10 lessons the 10 interviews i've done throughout this past half year into a small ebook that will go more in depth about some best practices in e-commerce so sign up for the mailing list to get your copy as soon as it's out and i'm sure you'll like it but before we get into today's show we have another itunes review and this review comes from me one two three four five six such a great find i'm so glad i found your podcast i learned some Something new every time I listen. Great job finding e-commerce business owners to interview. Love hearing all their different perspectives. Well, thank you so much, me, one, two, three, four, five, six. And with that being said, let's get into today's show. So today I have Tristan King from Shopify Ninjas where we're going to talk about e-commerce store design 101 and I wanted to get him on the show because every guest I've interviewed has come from an end user experience on e-commerce platforms and I wanted to get his view from a developer standpoint and to see what tips he can give for people trying to get into e-commerce. And so uh, what's up Tristan and how did you get into the whole Shopify space? It actually started as an experiment for one of my own side businesses. So I know you interview a lot of people who are building online stores to sell physical products. And that's how I started out as well. So I started an experiment a couple of years ago, selling some compression gear online. I don't know if you've seen people running around in parks or on bikes with the really tight Lycra style compression gear before. Not that I know of. It's a type of exercise fitness gear, basically, that you wear to help with muscle recovery. And I was in a fitness group at the time and just more and more people were starting to buy this gear. So I looked into it a bit further and I ended up finding a drop shipper and set up a drop shipping arrangement with them. So I needed to find a way to, to build a store. And I had heard about Shopify through Tim Ferriss because he's one of the, the mentors for, for Shopify and started building my own store, did a little experiment, which I ended up kind of shutting that down after a couple of months. Um, but through that, I learned how to build an online store for the first time. Then I had one or two other side experiments as well. And seeing as I already knew a bit about Shopify, continued using that building another store. And it kind of evolved from there. I never really intended to start out being a, a web developer. I've been working in IT for the last 10 years or so, but not quite as technical as I am now. So it kind of just started out through those little side businesses. Then one day I was showing some friends and they said, oh, this is, this is kind of cool. Can you build me one of these? And I said, yeah, sure. And then someone else said, oh, hey, this is, this is a good looking store. Can you build me one of these? And I thought, hmm, <laughs> I might be onto something here. Um, so it kind of just blossomed from there. So it was really just from the, the side experiments. And then I saw that I might be able to help some other people with their e-commerce businesses. And um, 
you know, be valuable for them as well. And that's kind of how it all started. I see. And so how many sites have you developed up to date? I think I've built three for my own purposes, three or four for my own purposes, and probably worked on about 15 or thereabouts. Um, the business has been run up and running for about six months or so. Um, and prior to that, it was mostly building stores from either myself or just sort of friends and families as the initial clients. So probably worked on somewhere between 10 and 20. I don't know exactly, but somewhere around there. I see. And so I know Shopify uses, I think they're a liquid uh, language. How long does it take you to learn that? Not that long. It's one of those things where it's quite well documented if you know what to look for. <laughs> and if you're, if you're willing to spend a little bit of time researching, they've got pretty good documentation for developers. Um, and they also have what they call Shopify gurus. So you can email them and get some help if you get stuck. So it does take a little bit of getting used to. The thing with Shopify stores is they're mostly built with you know most of the functionality that you'll need. So you don't need to write a lot of liquid from scratch unless you're doing something really complicated. So Liquid's actually pretty easy to learn. Um, I wouldn't say I'm the expert yet. I've still got a long way to go as well, but it's pretty easy to learn and to understand what's happening just to, I guess, hack different pieces here and there. If you just need to change something minor on your store, it's pretty easy to do. And if you need anything really complex done, that's where you would come to maybe a developer like myself who's been banging away at it for a little bit longer or go to one of the Shopify gurus and get them to help you. I see. Because I guess you just go to the documentation, find what you want to move, and then you just kind of copy-paste experiment, right? It, it does happen a lot of that way because most of the time, as novel as I like to think I am, most people have done something better or earlier than what I have, right? <laughs> most, people have, <laughs> most people have had the problem that I'm trying to solve before and have either asked in a forum or you know, got some help from one of the Shopify gurus or something like that. So now it's getting to the stage where, because I've been working with it for a while, I don't have to go to the documentation as much. When I was first starting out, there was, there was definitely a lot of that because I, I pretty much self-learned most of this. And you're exactly right. Most of the time you would go there, find what someone else has done copy it and then modify it for what you need to do yeah because i do that with wordpress too i kind of just go to the header i move stuff around if it doesn't work i undo it <laughs> absolutely i do that too save it back up <laughs> yeah save it back oops oops i crashed my site let me just reinstall the theme again <laughs> exactly yep i've done that millions of times before <laughs> i mean that's the kind of way you learn if you don't want to like learn how to code everything you just kind of mess around and see the exactly and that's that's kind of how i decided to get started because for me learning JavaScript, PHP, Liquid, HTML, CSS, all these languages from scratch and thinking I've got to sit down and build a site from nothing. First of all, to me, it seemed like it was going to be very difficult. You know, I studied most of those languages in university and I've used them you know, in bits and pieces over the last few years, but to sit down and build things from scratch was going to be a big time investment. And now with things like Shopify and WordPress, you really don't need to do that unless you need some kind of a super custom built solution. And for 90% of businesses and 90% of people, you just don't need that. So I decided to sort of spend my time learning about a few different platforms and learning how to make the best of those languages without having to write them from scratch. Kind of like you, you know, with, with WordPress, finding the basics of what you need and then building on it from there. Yeah, all right. And so when people approach you to uh, make a store, what are some common things that they miss in the initial design? Sure. So I think one common thing is just putting themselves in the user's shoes. I was a, a usability consultant for a couple of years, and so I tend to be a little bit picky about these things. And sometimes I notice things like, for example, having your buy now buttons below the fold, which is obviously where you, you, you need people to scroll down 
to be able to find the button that says buy now. Other things like, let's say if you go to a store to buy some shoes and you click on buy, have you ever been to a store where it doesn't give you any kind of a message that, okay, this has been added to your card or do you want to check out now? It just changes the little icon next to your cart to a one. You now have one item in your cart. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, yeah. And they don't, some give a pop-up, right, that says this is added to your cart and some just kind of change the number on top. Yeah. You're like, did it, did it get added? I press it again and then you add a second on your <laughs> Exactly right. I just ordered two, two pairs of shoes and spent $300 instead of 150 Exactly right. So those kind of things um, tend to be big. I would go with the pop-up or the notification every single time over just changing the number because... Some people just don't know or expect to know where to look, you know, to make sure that the website has done what you asked them to do. So that, those kinds of things, I guess, putting yourself in the user's shoes are two of the biggest ones. There are a few other things that are a bit more technical, like SEO. Um, some people will leave their title tags as the default ones, or they won't have anything in there. Same with the alt tags and uh, a few other things as it relates to being friendly for Google. But I would say design-wise, they're usually the biggest things. And let's go into a uh, buy button above default because um, so, so you want to keep it above default, right? That's what the right thing to do is? Or? Usually, yes. Depends a little bit on what your product is. If you've got some really, really compelling copy and images all the way down the page and it's really clear that you need to scroll, then it's not so much of a big deal because people are going to understand pretty quickly, okay, there's more information, I need to scroll down here. But I've seen lots of examples where, let's say you come to the page and you click on the product and you open it up and just by coincidence, it fits perfectly inside the page with white space down the bottom of what you can see. And it doesn't look like you can scroll any further because you don't see like the top of an image or the top of a paragraph or something to encourage you to scroll down. And therefore you think, okay, well, I want this product, but where do I buy it? So it's those kinds of things where it's it's almost set up perfectly for you to miss it. That's where I think you can really lose sales. Sometimes I'll even put on a couple of my sites, for example, I have the buy now button up the top and down the bottom mm-hmm. just so that people can't miss it. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. Because then if you just, people that just buy it, just click it. If they want to read more, they get an option to click it at the end. Too. Yeah, exactly right. It does depend on what you're selling. Um, but a lot of e-commerce products tend to be much shorter in their descriptions. Let's say if you're buying an information product or something like that, you know, you're going to spend the time to read the big sales letter down the page and you're expecting the buy now button to come there. But with e-commerce, often you'll find a product which has, you know, let's say three or four images and a couple of paragraphs of text. You're not quite in the same frame of mind that I'm going to be scrolling for eternity to find the buy now button. So some people I think tend to look for it earlier than they're right down the bottom of the page. Yeah, I guess if you're selling like iPhone cases, there's not much you can write about it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can write like, from some kind of features that you've got in there, which iPhones it's going to fit. And then from there, you want people to be clicking buy now. Exactly right. So if someone's looking to start a store, would you suggest they buy a theme and tweak it or kind of go with a developer and kind of build something from the ground up? Kind of what are the advantages of each uh, approach? If you're just getting started, a, a free theme can work quite well. You do see quite a lot of the stores out there still using a free thing. So if you're really looking to flatline and keep your budget right down, you can explore. They have probably at least 10 or 20 free things that you can use. They don't have as much functionality as the the paid themes, obviously. But if you're just getting started with something basic and you really want to flatline, then you can start with a free thing. And Shopify is kind of designed for most people with a little bit of technical knowledge to be able to build a store. So you don't need to do any coding to to get a basic store, let's say with your about page and your shipping details and five products. You don't really need a developer most of the time. That you can get up 
pretty quickly by yourself if you've used the web for a little while. Yeah, it's pretty easy to do. If you're somewhere in between, let's say you're, you're pretty serious about starting this business, you need a bit of extra functionality and a, a few different options in your theme, that's where I'd suggest going for a paid theme and they tend to range between $50 and $200. And it's very similar to a WordPress theme you probably installed before. You buy the theme, it takes you about three minutes to install it, and then magically your storefront changes. From there, if you still need either more customization or you want to add different features, that's when you might get a developer involved. Um, but for most people, I'd say it's worth trying it out at first and seeing how far you get if you've got the time to put into it before you spend the money on developer. Yeah, because I, when I look at the App Store, you don't really see that many themes, whereas like WordPress, you just have thousands and thousands. So, uh, so, so keep in mind, on the Shopify theme store, I guess there's maybe, haven't counted them, but I guess there's maybe between 50 and 100 themes which as you say is nothing compared to what you find for WordPress, but there are companies who sell Shopify themes independently as well. So the themes you see on the Shopify website are not the only ones out there that exist. They're the ones that I usually use and they're definitely the most popular ones because they're plugged straight in, but there are other companies out there who specialize in Shopify design and sell themes independently on their own website, which you then just download as a zip file and you upload it onto your Shopify store, that sort of thing. So there, there are more out there as well. And is it is it pretty, do you see cases where people just buy themes and then they get a developer to hack it around? Absolutely. That That's the majority of our business, actually, where people have made a start and then either they don't have the time to work out how to adjust it or they just need some help on the more on the more technical side. So exactly right, you're hacking it. So you maybe you've got your website 70% there, then you want to add things like a currency converter so that um, you know, people around the world have their currency automatically updated. Or you are doing some, a product that has engraving, so you need to have a, a field for people to enter their initials for the engraving. Those kinds of things, um, as well as changing the layout, uh, changing the headers, adding different logos, those kinds of things. That tends to be the majority of our work. And just to get back to your original question, when it comes to a custom-built design, that's going to be much more expensive, obviously, than buying one of the themes for sort of $100 or $200. So that I would say is for a much more established business or if you're starting a business and you've got a big budget to work with, that's where you might look at a custom build. Have you ever heard of a, a company called Grovemade? Uh, no, can't, can't say I have. Yeah, they're, they're similar to, there's another one called Dodo Case. Some of these guys who make... Oh yeah, yeah Dodo Case. Dodo Case, yeah, okay. So Dodo Case might be a good example. They make iPad covers and I think they've branched out into other devices now as well. But their store is definitely custom built and that's one of, the, I guess, the most famous stores that runs on Shopify and also one of the best looking, that would definitely be a custom made theme where a developer would have spent lots and lots of time making it look different and making it function different specifically for them. And they're running multi-million dollar business. So it's not to say that people getting started couldn't go for a custom theme, but for me, it's kind of the 80-20 rule. I would say for most businesses, making a start with a, a paid theme of between 50 to $200 is gonna be right on the sweet spot where you don't have to invest a lot of money, but you get 80% of the design. You can tweak it yourself. If you need a bit more customization, you can come to someone like me to, to make a few tweaks here and there, and then you're gonna be really on your way to, to having a good functional, good looking website. I see. So for someone who has a theme or maybe is looking for a developer kind of like, like is it generally like five times more expensive or kind of just like a ballpark number like that? Yeah, I would say it's probably going to be between five and ten times more expensive. I don't know exactly what the, the fully custom-built themes cost. We don't do custom builds. We tend to work more with the, the built themes. But I would say it's going to cost you at least four or five 
thousand to get a custom built theme put together. Whereas you know, let's say if you bought a paid theme and paid us for let's say ten hours of customization, you, you're going to be looking at probably somewhere around one k or less. Oh, that's not that's, that's it's a huge difference. Not that bad at all. Then. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we generally charge somewhere around eighty dollars an hour, and the themes go up anywhere up to two hundred dollars. So even if you bought a paid theme and then had ten hours of development work done, you're still looking at about a thousand. Whereas I would say most of the custom built themes are going to be between you know, three, five k and upwards, just because they're very specialized people who are really, really good at what they do. They're usually a combination of designers and developers and their time is um, yeah, is very expensive and they produce a fantastic product so it costs a lot more to get started if you're building something custom, I guess. So it depends on the size of your own business too. But if you're just starting out, a thousand bucks is very reasonable. Yeah, yeah. Nice WordPress site is kind of around that same range. Yeah, I would say so. If you hired a developer you know, in the US or even if you found someone on Elance, you could easily spend thousand dollars or so getting a nice WordPress site set up so that it's functional and you can then yeah take it over and, and manage it yourself yeah. absolutely all right so since you've worked with so many Shopify stores uh, what are some things in the platform that you see uh, they can improve upon let me think about this for a second so I like it a lot <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm sure not every platform is hundred percent perfect I just kind of what are some kinks that people should be aware of yeah absolutely now there definitely are some kinks i think um some of the more advanced functionality can be a bit tricky to work with so for example i've got got one client at the moment who wants to have a button to reorder so let's say if you're selling uh, fruit and vegetables and you want to order the same thing every week you can go in and look at your previous orders but getting it to just have a button to have to duplicate that order is very tricky. That's something we're doing at the moment and it's just not set up, I guess, to reorder by default. Shopify is a bit more angled towards people buying either one time or coming back as a repeat customer but buying different products. So they don't have that kind of almost like a subscription style reorder. If you're looking to do memberships, that's also a little bit trickier. They do have an app that you can plug in called Chargeify. It sets up the membership component so you can, let's say if you're going to receive something on a monthly basis, you can charge someone to their credit card month by month. That kind of recurring model, I guess, is not suited perfectly to Shopify at the moment. There are ways around it, uh, but that's something which I think they can they can probably improve on later on. That's the main thing at the moment. Technically, the system would have to like fetch the old order and somehow duplicate it, and then yeah, I guess it's just not in the code, right? Or- exactly. So I think. Probably it's just a case of prioritization. I'm sure they're aware of that one. It's just a case of making that a part of the basic package, I guess, now. It just takes quite a bit of extra coding to set something like that up. I think all all of those features are there or they can be built, but it's just a case of making them a bit more available for the everyday person to set up on their store, I guess. Yeah, this is something a app developer told me too. He's like saying, you know, a lot of apps are good, but like, why don't they just bake it into the platform? Yeah, yeah. That was like his biggest kind of kind of feedback I got. From yeah, that. I think that makes sense. And there are other things as well, like an image gallery. Sometimes artists, for example, might want to showcase all of their paintings without necessarily having a product page for all of them. There's a way around to, to showcase a gallery, but that also takes a bit of custom coding. So I think you're right. Like I think Shopify's approach is not everyone is going to need all of this functionality, so they don't want to bump up the, the monthly fees if only 20% of the people are going to use them. But I think some of these functionalities, if they're, they're easy to create, it'll be good to, to have them as part of the, the main package, yeah. And I guess you, you could say their core business is the platform, not really the yeah. peripheral. Yeah. And I guess if, if, you, if you bake this stuff in and not everyone uses it, you're kind of wasting your resources. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a bit of a balance. And I'm sure they've got a humongous wish list of features as well. So I guess it's just 
about how much noise has made people wanting the feature and and bumping it up the priority list. But overall, they do a I find they do a really good job. The support guys are very responsive and very helpful too. And most things can be done. It's just a case of uh, how tricky it's going to be if it's something really advanced. I see. So since we touched a little about apps, what are some of the best apps you would recommend on the platform? Ah, all right. This is going to be a good part. One is an app called the Meta Tagger, which for anyone who's interested in SEO and wants to get some more Google juice, that's a really good one to use because that gives you a lot more control over the descriptions and your page titles and your keywords. Instead of having to go into the back end and edit those, it just gives you a nice little box that you can enter in and that's what will show on Google and what Google will look at and that, that kind of thing. So the meta, meta Tagger app is a good one. Chargeify is another useful one if you're looking to get some kind of a recurring subscription model. I don't use a huge amount of apps on my stores. I think a lot of them come into play when you really scale. So there, there's one, for example, let's pretend if you're getting a thousand sales a month, you're going to start seeing some trends of people abandoning the cart. So they get to the, they get to the cart page and then for some reason they leave or they close down your site. Yeah. So there's an app that you can configure that will take their email address and you can set it up to send them an email saying, Hey, we noticed you were about to buy this pair of shoes, but you dropped out here. Here's a 10% discount. Would that help in coming back to our store and buying it? So that one's called the Abandon app, I think, where it just automates that process of sending someone a discount to encourage them to come back after they've dropped off. The last one I'll mention is Odoro, I think it's called, where it just allows you, once you start shipping lots and lots of products, you're going to be printing lots of labels, you're going to be wanting to track where everything's going, and that's all doable within the, the standard Shopify interface too, but if you really grow into something huge, that's a, a nice one to help you make sense a bit more of all the information that's coming back and forth with you know, all of your addresses and your labels and all that sort of thing. When you're just getting started, you don't need too many apps or, or different add-ons. Um, the meta tagger one for SEO, I would recommend probably first up. And then from there, it's more usually a case of scaling. Once you've got some stats that you can look at and see where you can improve, then you might go and, and add some of those apps. Okay, so let's go into about looking at stats then. So... Uh, you know, card abandonment is a huge issue for all e-commerce. I think the industry average is like 65 to 70%. Yeah, it's big. <laughs> I mean, so so what are your advice in kind of like reducing this number? The follow-up email is good, but that that's more of an afterthought, right? That's not going to stop people when they're actually on the page. That's just following up afterwards. So having shipping information either up front or on the cart page is a big one. I know there are some stores where you'll go to order a $5 product. A few weeks ago, I wanted to order some yerba mate tea, for example. And I was looking around and I found the yerba mate tea for $7. Perfect. I went to checkout and on the checkout page, they told me that the shipping was going to be something like $14 for a $7 product. And I was like, I think I'm just going to walk around the corner and buy it for $10 from my local store because... That's just not going to happen. Um, whereas maybe if I had have known about the shipping costs up front and their product was significantly better than the one I was going to buy at my local store, maybe I would have gone ahead with it. But I kind of felt a bit a bit duped, right? A bit deceived <laughs> when I got to that page. So I think being upfront about shipping and any built-in costs is always good. And you know, it could be something as simple as just having a drop down there with a couple of different shipping options, but just make it obvious and don't sting people at the last the last section. That's kind of the first thing that comes to mind. And if you can build in the shipping costs into your product, I think that helps a lot as well. I'm sure you're the same too. People love free shipping in general. <laughs> so if, selling, if it's something that's not extremely heavy and you can build it into your cost and then give free shipping, I think that's another good way 
to avoid people dropping off at the last minute when it comes to shipping costs. And other than that, I think it's mostly just about having a really clear checkout process and minimizing the amount of information that people need to give. One other thing that I used to harp on about to clients as a usability consultant in my previous life was marketing people, of course, want to capture every piece of information about you that they can because they can use that information, right? Obviously, they need your address to be able to ship you the product. They need your email address and your name. From there, if you can make any other fields optional, I would do that. With the marketing hat on, of course, you wanna know their phone number, how did they find out about your site, you know, what did you have for breakfast? Where do you go shopping online? You want to know all that stuff with the market. But as a, as a consumer, you don't want to give in any of that information, right? If you can limit the amount of required information that you have to give someone in your e-commerce store, I suspect that will improve your, your conversion rates just because people don't like filling out forms in general. And if they're too long, some people will just go, I really wanted this, this product, but uh, this form is just taking me too long to fill out. I'll just go and find it somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, yeah, because, you know, in the day of such small attention spans, you know, people are basically lazy, right? They want to buy something that's free shipping. They don't have to go walk out to the store to buy. They don't want to fill out these big forms. And Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are ways around that too. If you can get someone on your site once, it can be really easy to get them back on your store if you do it in a nice way. An example of this is, um, have you ever heard of a, a clothing store online called ASOS? They're, they're someone who I give very frequent donations to buying clothes online. The reason, <laughs> How do I spell the domain name? Uh, A-S-O-S. Yeah, I think they have a a few different stores around there. I think they're based in the UK, but they have a store in Australia and maybe in Hong Kong at the moment. I'm not too sure. They've got really good stuff and it's, it's pretty affordable, men's and women's, but I buy shirts on there from time to time and that sort of thing. And that is just one of the best stores that I've seen online because it works beautifully on an iPad and they don't ask you for too much information. They've got really friendly messaging on their site. And what I like now is after I bought something once, I can go back in there, in two seconds I can log in and it remembers all of my information. So I don't need to fill that form out again. And then whatever I buy, it just it's very quick to do because you don't need to fill out all that information again. That in itself, retaining someone's information and adding it back into a form is it's not that advanced, but I think the way you do it is really important because it needs to be really quick the first time around so that you then, you lure someone in and now I go back there very often because I know it's going to be quick and easy for me to order things and um, all my information is going to be pre-filled. So that's, that's another way to do it, I think. What about you? Any Anything from your experience that um, yeah, helps to decrease those abandonment rates other than that? I know the abandonment email rates, uh, as far as the timing, there is a sweet spot, I think, of I think 24 hours. Because if you send it too soon, uh, what I've heard is people say like, oh, like, do I owe you money? Or they kind of get shocked, like, why, why did you send this to me so fast, right? But if you send it too late, you know, they're like, what is this? Like, they kind of forget about it too, so. That's interesting. That makes sense. I heard about a similar phenomenon with uh, requests for quote. I think you've got a similar window where, I think it actually might have been the Lifestyle Business Podcast where they did an experiment and it was something like, you know, if you respond in the first 48 hours, you've got a 50% chance of getting the, the gig. If you respond after that, you've got 20%. They had some kind of statistics around the time frame. So it's interesting to hear that about e-commerce abandonment rates. It makes sense. Yeah, and so this brings me to my next topic. Um, you have the option to create an account uh, kind of during checkout. I mean, do you think that's required or optional? What are your thoughts on that? I would always make it optional, personally. I think if you make people create an account, it's another username and password that people need to remember and they're just going to go, oh, not another one. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I know that's what I do if I come to a site that that forces me to make an account. So what Shopify usually does, if you can set this up in a few different ways. If you want, you can just have a standard store. You don't need to create an account. You can force people to create one or you can have the option. And I would probably go with either just having people check out without creating any creating an account. If it's something like iPhone covers where you're probably only going to buy one, then that's what I would do. Otherwise, make it optional. And Shopify is set up so that they create the account right at the end of the process. And this is good because they've already entered all of their information by then. So I've gone and bought my iPhone cover. I've given you my email address, my name. I've typed in all of that. And then at the end, it just says, do you want to create an account? If you hit yes, it will ask you for a password and that's it. Mentally, that's a lot less strenuous because you've already given your information than saying, to buy this iPhone cover, you need to create an account. Do you want to do that? And everyone's going to go, hell no, I don't want to create an account. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas, you know, if you already bought it, it'll be like, oh, okay, I might as well do this instead of like, what? Yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly. It takes two seconds to type in a password. And if you think you're going to come back to that store again, then, you know, there is a time advantage next time. When we were sort of emailing back and forth, you asked me about, I guess, some of the the pros and cons and when's a good time to get started on Shopify compared to some other solutions. Just going to talk about that a little bit. So I guess the pros of Shopify, I guess, are that you don't need to worry about a lot of the technical stuff that happens with creating your own site. Things like SSL certificates, redirects, you don't need to pay any extra for hosting. Let's say if you create your own website, you need somewhere to host it, whereas everything is hosted on Shopify. Anything to come to do with security is all covered. That's a big advantage and it's just, you can have a store set up in a few days if you know what you're gonna be selling and you're, you're really keen to get started, it's really, really quick to do. Some of the cons, I guess, are that you do need to take into account the monthly fees. So I think the most basic plan is $29 a month and then $59 a month moves you up to, I think, two and a half thousand products instead of 100 and it goes up from there. So for me, this has always been 100% worth it because you save a lot of time and potentially development costs up front getting the store set up and you don't have to worry about the technical stuff. But if you're flatlining starting a business, that is something else that you need to think about. They have a one month free trial. So that's always good to go in and just create your store and see whether you like it or not and how serious you're going to be about the business. But that monthly fee is something else just to consider as part of your your startup costs, I guess. How is Shopify as a place for info products? I've seen one or two people that have done that. And, and I know they take like a 1%, 2% off the sales? They do, they do. It is set up to sell info products and they have a specific sales engine for that, I think. Too. I haven't built any info product um, stores, but it, it is definitely set up to do that. I guess the advantage again would be it's quick to set up, but the disadvantage is that you're going to be paying that $30 a month and the transaction fee, 1% or 2% depending on your plan. So to be honest, if you already know Shopify and you like it, if I was going to start selling another information product, I might give it a go through Shopify for a month and see how it goes. But I would probably look for something like WordPress and integrate it with eJunkie, just as a general rule, because then you're going to be paying $5 a month for the eJunkie membership and nothing else, as opposed to your $30 a month plus your transaction fees with Shopify. So my business owner hat on for this one, I probably would go for something like WordPress and eJunkie or, or something like that for info products. Yeah, because you hear a lot of people say eJunkie is not very good either, so I was just kind of curious using a platform like Shopify as an alternative. But I guess the cost, kinda, they're kind of high if you're just starting out too. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a trade-off. I think I found eJunkie to be okay. It takes a bit of setting up in the beginning, but 
it's it's really cheap and I found it pretty easy to set up. So again, to me, it comes down to a question of scale. If you are then selling a thousand copies a month of your ebook on eJunkie and you want to get a better looking store, then I mean, you've got the cash flow to pump into something like Shopify, which might be a bit easier to manage. Um, but when you're getting started out, I'd probably go for something for Word, on WordPress for information products personally. You have a WordPress site. I understand Shopify has a widget to add your products onto a WordPress site now, right? I think they have. Ah, yes, they do. They do. So you still need, I think you still need to have a Shopify store hooked up. So let's say if you've got terrylin.com and you're selling uh, podcasting gear, you might have terrylin.com hosted on WordPress and then you have your sales page there with a widget to embed your, it's basically embed a buy now button. When you click that buy now button, it's going to check out to something like terrylin.com slash um, shop slash cart or something like that. So that's actually a Shopify store that's kind of linked up with your WordPress domain and that will all work together nicely. So the, the Shopify part then just does your transaction processing and you can embed um, your buy now buttons on a WordPress site. Nice, so you don't need to actually, because I know the Shopify blogging platform is not as good as the WordPress one by, by far. Yeah, I agree, it's just not as robust. You can create blog posts, you can add images, you can embed videos, but that's that's about it really. Shopify might, might hate me if they've got more functionality in there that I don't know about. Maybe there is a bit more. <laughs> but it's definitely not WordPress where you've got a million and one plugins and you know in five minutes you can find a plugin to do pretty much anything on WordPress, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I guess you know, Shopify is not a blogging platform, so exactly. we can't really bag them on that either. Exactly. And to me, it, it's kind of nice to have that separation. What I mean is for, for informational websites or blogs, I would still usually go with WordPress. And for e-commerce, especially selling physical products, I would go for Shopify. I have tried and experimented with uh, WordPress e-commerce and Woo themes also have some e-commerce themes now as well. So that, that's another option. But personally, I just found it, I found WordPress e-commerce very clunky and I'm sure people out there who are more knowledgeable about it than I am and maybe can correct me, but um, I found it quite clunky and I just found Shopify because it's, specifically tailored for e-commerce to be a, a lot easier to work with. Yeah, and especially, you know, like WordPress, it, it'll work, but do you really want to put your whole business on a clunky platform that's actually a blogging platform? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's better to have something that's built specifically for that purpose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. And so, um, so can you tell us a little bit about Shopify Ninjas before we end? Yeah, sure, sure. So we're a, a small team. I'm the development lead. We've got a... Another web developer in the US as well, and we're growing a, a small team of, of admin staff and developers as well, but we're still a small company at this stage. People come to us for three reasons, I guess. The first one is they already have a store and they just need some tweaks done. So that's things like changing the layout or the headings, updating your logo or adding little bits and pieces like the currency converter, setting it up for uh, GST taxes in Australia is another one that we sometimes do. So these kind of adjustments is the, the first area. The second one would be people just starting from scratch who want to get a helping hand to get their store off the ground and don't want to spend the time or don't have the time to, to spend learning every last detail. Sometimes it's quicker just to get someone who knows about it to help you get it off the ground. And the third one would be people coming across from another platform. We've worked with clients coming from Big Commerce or from Volusion or from WordPress with, uh, we've got some clients on WordPress just using a PayPal solution. So people who are kind of moving across to Shopify and want some help to make it easier that way. So they're, they're kind of the three areas that we tend to work in. Yeah, and so just in terms of switching platforms if your store is already running, how difficult is that in this day and age? Because it's not like a domain transfer where you just kind of 
type in the name and then you you wait like a day right <laughs> and hit and hit go and then it magically happens yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not really like that uh with changing platforms because i guess because they're all competing against each other they don't have a really fluid way to do that so you you are you're not starting from scratch because you already have all your assets like your logo your color scheme or your product images and all that sort of stuff so you're not starting from scratch but you do pretty much need to start a new store and then load everything in. Um, there are some ways around that. You don't have to load every single product manually, for example. You can use a spreadsheet and upload it as a CSV file so that you can upload you know, 100 products at once, that kind of thing. There are some ways around it, um, but it's not quite as easy as a domain transfer where you enter your name and your, your domain name and, sit and hit go, unfortunately. <laughs> It's not that complicated either, you know. In between ten and twenty hours, you can migrate most stores from from one platform to another. We specialize in Shopify, and I guess that's one of the things that makes us a little bit different. Is there are a lot of firms out there who do work with Shopify, but also do design work or do marketing work or kind of the the full scope of web agency. We do m almost all of our work on the Shopify platform, and that's why we're kind of nerds when it comes to this. <laughs> and that makes us a little bit different to some of the other providers. And um, from there, that, that's most of all there is to it. We got qualified on the Shopify Experts portal. Uh, a couple of months ago and since then things have really progressed a lot faster than they were before. That's kind of the go-to place if people are looking for developers and that's not just for developers like us, they also have marketing gurus on there, people for SEO and designers as well so the Shopify Experts, Experts portal is a good place to go to and uh, you'll find us there on, on there as well. Alright man. Alright mate, well thanks for, for the chat and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Alright, All right, cheers. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast.